The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled HBV is Primary, Your Role in the Call to Action to Eliminate Viral Hepatitis by 2030. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash AYK860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Hello, I'm Dr. Paul Quo from Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. Welcome to this educational activity on the diagnosis and management of hepatitis B virus infection in the primary care setting. The presentation is HBV is primary, your role in the call to action to eliminate viral hepatitis by 2030. So first, let's talk about the epidemiology of hepatitis B. Currently, there are approximately 250 million individuals worldwide that are infected with hepatitis B. In the US, it's been difficult to obtain precise data, but it's been estimated in several studies that there are somewhere between 880,000 and almost 2 million people in the US who are living with chronic hepatitis B. And importantly, non-US born people account for just over two thirds or 69% of the US population that does have chronic hepatitis B. There are considerable racial and ethnic disparities in this population as well. You can see here the cases per 100,000 people are listed in the U.S., and you can see here that those from Asia and Pacific Islands clearly have the highest case rate uh, in the U.S. So let's talk now about acute and chronic hepatitis B. So with initial infection, acute hepatitis B infections can last up to six months, and importantly, this can be with or without symptoms. When you acquire this as an infant, generally everybody is asymptomatic. This is vertical transmission. But even in adults, only about 30% of individuals actually develop signs and symptoms of hepatitis when they're infected. These symptoms can include loss of appetite, joint or muscle pain, low-grade fever, typical viral-type sy symptoms. Also, the symptoms can also be much more severe, and it can include nausea, vomiting, jaundice, bloating. Some of these people actually come to the emergency department, your office, or are admitted to the hospital. The definition of chronic hepatitis B means failure to clear the surface antigen after six months. And the risk of developing this chronic hepatitis B is directly related to the age at first exposure. So as we discussed just a few seconds ago, the vast majority of infants, greater than 90%, are infected when they are born or through vertical transmission or when they're very young. And these individuals will develop chronic hepatitis B infection. Once you reach the ages of between one and five, about half of children will develop chronic hepatitis B. And as we get older to adulthood, that is ages greater than 18, then about five to 10% of healthy adults go on to develop chronic hepatitis B. Again, that's failure to clear the surface antigen after six months of exposure. Chronic hepatitis B is associated with significant morbidity and mortality. Hepatitis B contributes to over 800,000 deaths worldwide and approximately 1,600 deaths annually in the United States. Of those who are infected, up to 40% of individuals are going to develop complications, including liver cirrhosis, liver failure, or hepatocellular carcinoma. Without treatment and monitoring, 25% of those who have chronic hepatitis B will die prematurely from one of these complications. Also, the vast majority, over 
two-thirds or 70% of individuals with hepatitis B-related deaths are due to hepatocellular carcinoma. And it's important to know that hepatitis B is still the leading cause of hepatocellular carcinoma worldwide. Our current hepatitis B treatments can mitigate this risk, but unfortunately, just 10 to 15% of individuals who are eligible to receive treatment actually do go on to receive appropriate therapy that can reduce their risks of morbidity and mortality from hepatitis B. This is a snapshot of the disparities currently that we see in the US in acute hepatitis B. And you can see here that there are, um, these are the case rates of hepatitis B. And this comes from the Centers for Disease Control Hepatitis B Surveillance Report from 2020. You can see that the number of reported cases has actually fallen over the past 15 years. You can see males more than females. You can see that younger age more than older age. You can see also here under location that there are higher case rates here centered in the Midwest. This is in part due to the opiate epidemic and the injection drug use epidemic that we're facing. For reported risk factors now, hepatitis B uh, transmission via injection drug use is now the most common of the reported risk factors. And you can see here also that uh, there are differences in various race races and ethnicities as well uh, with regard to um, the reported cases of hepatitis B. The transmission of hepatitis B risk factors are shown here. So the most common risk factor is from mother to neonate or what we call vertical transmission. And this occurs predominantly in uh, Asia and Africa, but certainly mother to child transmission or child to child transmission called horizontal transmission occurs. Hepatitis B is also transmitted through percutaneous or mucosal contact with blood or body fluids. And of course, other routes include sexual transmission. Uh, hepatitis B, as we've mentioned, is transmitted by injection, drug use, needle stick, occupational exposure. Administration or exposure to contaminated blood products in the U.S. is not really something that happens given the extremely rigorous screening of the blood supply. But in resource-restricted countries, this still does occur. One of the ways to reduce the incidence of hepatitis B is to vaccinate, and a highly effective vaccine is available. Um, I show you here uh, the recent Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices recommendations, and this is that all infants and all persons less than 19 years of age, as well as adults 19 to 59 years of age, should receive the hepatitis B vaccine. In addition, adults greater than 60 with risk factors can and uh, receive the hepatitis B vaccine, and of course, uh, anyone uh, can receive the hepatitis B vaccine without risk factors for hepatitis B. In our populations with our large non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and alcohol use disorder populations, uh, all of our patients with chronic liver disease are vaccinated for hepatitis B and or their vaccination status is verified. Because we have improved therapies for hepatitis B as well as hepatitis C, the World Health Organization set an ambitious goal to eliminate viral hepatitis as a public health threat by 2030. So what does this mean? So chronic hepatitis B places a significant burden on patients, family, and healthcare system. And the proposal was to reduce by 90% the incidence of new chronic infections, as well as to achieve a 65% reduction in mortality compared to the 2015 baseline. The initial roadmap was focused on strategies including prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and community interventions. And the goals for this, as you can see here, are shown on the right. Uh, this also included 
reduction in viral hepatitis related disparities in health inequities and improving our hepatitis surveillance and data usage. And obviously to achieve hepatitis elimination from hepatitis B and C, we would need integrated coordinated efforts that address viral hepatitis epidemics among all of our partners and stakeholders worldwide. In addition, uh, there is also a national strategic plan, a roadmap for elimination of viral hepatitis in the United States. And one of the most important aspects of this was the need to address social determinants of health and health priority populations. So unfortunately, hepatitis B, as all of you know, infects populations disproportionately that have historically faced disparities in health status related to social determinants of health. And these include low paying or inconsistent employment, unstable housing, ethnicity, geographic locations. And this can lead to discrimination, stigma, or exclusion from the healthcare system. And these negative interactions likely reduce the ability or willingness of patients to seek care that would make viral hepatitis risk assessment and linkage to care um, more straightforward. These difficulties pose additional challenges to the development of broad-based solutions and will need to be addressed as we move forward with our plan to reduce the morbidity and mortality of viral hepatitis in the U.S. and worldwide. There are large gaps in our hepatitis B screening and care currently in the United States. So we've shown you a variety of estimates. Uh, this estimate was that there may be up to 2.4 million individuals with chronic hepatitis B in the United States. Approximately 600,000 or one quarter will be eligible for treatment under our current guidelines, but only a third of those with chronic hepatitis B are actually aware of their infections, and only 40% of those who are aware of their infections are referred for appropriate care. Uh, as we've already mentioned, acute hepatitis B infection is rising, and this is unfortunately fueled by the opiate use disorder crisis. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force also has updated their screening recommendations. These still are risk-based. So the US PSTF, what does it recommend? It recommends that we screen adolescents and adults who are at increased risk for hepatitis B virus. So risk factors that would lead to screening include uh, individuals who have a prevalence potentially of greater than 2%. Populations include those who were born in high prevalence areas of the world, such as Asia, Africa, Pacific Islands, parts of South America. Also, U.S.-born persons not vaccinated as infants and whose parents were from a very high prevalence area. In addition, HIV, injection drug use, men who have sex with men, household contacts and sexual partners as well. And these individuals should have a one-time screening except for those with ongoing risk factors. And these individuals should have periodic screening in our clinic for these individuals. We ask them to be screened once per year. Uh, the CDC recommendations are also under revision, but they're also risk-based and they're shown here. We recently published uh, a paper uh, simplifying this, uh, the care of those with chronic hepatitis B. This is for both diagnosis, assessment, and treatment, and we recommended that there be a universal one-time hepatitis B screening in all adults. And the testing that was uh, proposed is the surface antigen, surface antibody, and total core antibody. And in addition, which is already in the guidance, 
individuals, should, women who are pregnant should also be rescreened. Um, this ensures that we capture those individuals who did not mount an antibody response with their infant vaccination, and those who were never vaccinated can be identified and then appropriately vaccinated now as adults. So the reason we did this is because of some of the limitations of a risk-based approach. Um, as you can see here, uh, if you look at the information regarding risk behaviors or exposures uh, that are reported uh, for the United States, and this is CDC data, what you can see here is that uh, up to 30% of individuals, no risk identified. And again, a larger, slightly even larger portion has risk data that is missing. And so if these individuals who are infected with uh, hepatitis B are unclear of their risk factors, uh, universal screening would hopefully be able to capture these individuals and appropriately link them to care. So now let's talk about some of the serological markers of hepatitis B infection. So uh, they're shown here uh, on the left. And so we have a, a variety of serologies that we can order. So uh, one of the common ones that we order is the hepatitis B surface antigen. So uh, this is the uh, protein that's on the surface of the hepatitis B virus. It's detected in high levels during acute and chronic hepatitis B infection and indicates that the person is infectious. What does the hepatitis B surface antigen do? The hepatitis B surface antigen serves as a decoy, if you will, for the immune system. There are billions of these particles that are in the circulation and it is this surface antigen that, if you will, occupies the immune system and prevents us from mounting the appropriate immune response to clear the hepatitis B from the circulation. We also have the hepatitis B E antigen. This is a protein contained in the nucleocapsid core, and it's detected in individuals with high virus titers. And this is a marker that you are highly infectious. And so E antigen is typically found earlier in life. And uh, these individuals, again, have a much, in general, much higher viral level than those who are E antigen negative. There is also the hepatitis B core antigen. Uh, this is a protein on the surface of the nucleocapsid core. It is not secreted. You can't measure it in the bloodstream, and therefore you can't. Um, this is something that we only detect by measuring the antibodies to the core antigen. This is the IgM core, and then the total, which is a combination of the IgM and the IgG to the core protein. This also uh, indicates if you have an antibody to the core indicates that you have been exposed to hepatitis B. Other serological markers include the hepatitis B surface antibody, and this indicates recovery and immunity from hepatitis B. You are protected from this, or if you are surface antibody positive and core antibody negative, you have been successfully vaccinated. Again, the total core antibody um, appears at the onset of symptoms in acute hepatitis B and persists for life. Uh, this again indicates uh, ongoing or prior hepatitis B exposure. The IgM core antibody, which is the IgM core to the antibody to the core antigen, indicates recent acute hepatitis B infection. And you generally order this when somebody presents with an acute hepatitis um, acute hepatitis clinically, uh, particularly if they come to your office or in the emergency department, and you would order this along with a surface antigen to diagnose acute hepatitis B.
What's the natural course of chronic hepatitis B infection? Well, there are five phases, and uh, the, this has been uh, described in some European guidelines, but is really, I think, the most useful way to think of this. So uh, what we have here initially is, if you will, uh, those who are immune tolerant, and uh, these people have hepatitis B infection without ongoing hepatitis. This means their ALT is normal. The hepatitis B DNA is very, very high. The E antigen is positive, and these individuals are asymptomatic. And this can last anywhere from one to four decades, and we see this in particular in individuals who acquire hepatitis B through vertical transmission or at a very young age. Then we have an immune activation stage or chronic hepatitis where we have higher fluctuating hepatitis B DNA levels. The ALT is going to go up and down. These individuals can be detected because routine blood testing will show an elevated AST and ALT. And this is in response to the immune system's effort to clear the hepatitis B. And here, because of this ongoing necroinflammatory activity, there is risk for inflammation and progressive fibrosis, and this is a phase where we always have historically treated individuals who have chronic hepatitis B. There is then, after the immune activation phase, there transitions to a low replicative state. Uh, this is where the hepatitis B DNA levels can be low or undetectable. The ALT levels are normal. There's typically minimal, if you were to do a biopsy, minimal hepatitis or fibrosis. But again, if the immune activation phase was significant and severe, these individuals actually can progress to cirrhosis and be clinically silent about it. And again, this represents chronic hepatitis B, E antigen, negative hepatitis B. We don't typically treat historically in this particular phase. And then some individuals who have E antigen negative hepatitis B reactivate, AST, ALT go up, the viral levels go up. Uh, this can also happen because they are exposed to some uh, immunosuppressive agent as well. But again, there's the potential here for hepatitis uh, to lead to progressive fibrosis. And again, uh, guide treatment guidances have suggested that these individuals uh, should be treated when you have ALT levels that are elevated. And then finally, you can undergo what we call surface antigen clearance. Uh, this is remission. And um, this is, if you will, called a functional cure if you clear surface antigen. Uh, but again, once you've been exposed to hepatitis B, you can never truly rid yourself of the virus entirely. Uh, but nonetheless, this happens about 1% per year. Uh, it's very, <clears throat> it's, it's always uh, good news to have this happen. And obviously many of our therapies that are under investigation are trying to improve the surface antigen clearance rates. So uh, a little bit about the serologic interpretations here. You can see here uh, that if you're surface antigen positive, you need to let these individuals know that they have hepatitis B infection and they need to be counseled. Household and sexual contacts need to also be evaluated and that additional testing is going to be uh, required for these individuals. If you're surface antibody positive and core antibody positive, you're immune to hepatitis B, you've been exposed to it, no further action. You're surface antibody positive only, you've been vaccinated. If you're surface antibody negative and core antibody positive, uh, then you do have a risk of reactivation should you receive any biologic agents, say for say of inflammatory arthritis, or if you were to receive chemotherapy, but no other action required. And again, if you are surface antibody and core antibody negative, 
then you should be vaccinating at-risk patients. For us, this is all of our individuals with chronic liver disease, um, and they should receive the vaccine. Uh, what about post-vaccination serologic testing? Um, you can, you should, you can check a post-vaccination serologic test of hepatitis B between one to two months after the final dose of vaccine in groups that are at high risk for hepatitis B, and these can include healthcare personnel, sexual and household contacts of surface antigen positive individuals, persons who inject drugs or have other uh, co-infections such as HIV. So here is a simplified approach for the individual you find is surface antigen positive. The first important task is to assess the severity of liver disease. So how do we do this? We'll look on exam for stigmata of cirrhosis, and this can include any of your standard features, jaundice, hepatomegaly, splenomegaly, palmar erythema, spider angiomas, ascites, muscle wasting, all of those things are asterixis. In most individuals, you will find that the exam is unremarkable, but some individuals, particularly those who have not been engaged in care, certainly you can uh, detect these physical findings. You'll also want to assess for extrahepatic manifestations. These aren't that common with hepatitis B, but you should uh, look and ensure that there's nothing that makes you suspect a vasculitis or uh, in addition, an arthritis or glomerulonephritis is uh, occurring as well in your patients who are surface antigen positive. The laboratory evaluation includes a CBC, INR, as well as your liver biochemistries and a creatinine level. And you can use these to and assess the fibrosis. And there are various ways to do this. Uh, a very uh, helpful uh, set of indices are the AST platelet ratio index or APRI or the FIB4. Uh, these use either AST and platelets or AST ALT and platelets. And it can give you a reasonable, quick assessment of the level of fibrosis in your patient who has surface antigen detected. These individuals should have a baseline ultrasound and AFP. And if you have other non-invasive methods such as elastography, you can obtain these as well. You do need to quantify the level of replication. This is with an HBV DNA quantitative assay. And then you wanna look for other comorbidities in your patient. And this includes looking for metabolic syndrome complications, also identifying any other co-infections, hepatitis C, HIV, or hepatitis D, if they're of childbearing age, you want to test for pregnancy, you want to look at their medicines and counsel on supplements, screen for STDs, and then obviously counsel on good liver health. And so this means uh, that you want to make sure that these individuals do not have issues with alcohol use disorder. And if they have metabolic syndrome complications, that these issues are also being addressed. How do we counsel uh, these individuals? So uh, if you do need to give a plan for follow-up care and you need to establish with them that this is a diagnosis that they're going to require regular monitoring for. So this means regular monitoring means a minimum of every six months for laboratory assessments and for disease progression. Again, we're trying to make sure we don't pick up somebody who's developed a more immune active hepatitis B or something else has changed. We do want to counsel these individuals about the long-term implications of hepatitis B that we discussed in module one. This includes those individuals who would be at risk for progression to cirrhosis and hepatocellular carcinoma. We also want to discuss with them that if they ever need treatment for any type of cancer or any immune disease, that if they are to receive immunosuppression, they must regularly communicate with you. These individuals will become at risk for activation. 
of hepatitis B, which can be on occasion quite dramatic. And therefore, these individuals may need to be put on therapy for prophylaxis if they're not already on therapy. Alcohol use disorder, as all of you know, is becoming much more prevalent and it's important to counsel and our, for our hepatitis B patients, we really ask them to not regularly use alcohol. Um, and so uh, overall, uh, we think this is the most prudent strategy. And if individuals have uh, issues with this, that is, they have problematic alcohol use, then we refer them out uh, to see if they can get help with this. Again, the same thing is true for metabolic complications. Uh, we, we all are contending with the fatty liver epidemic, and many of our patients with hepatitis B also have metabolic liver disease as well. And it's important to ensure that they have optimal control of diabetes, dyslipidemia, and that they are actively working uh, to address any other lifestyle changes that will improve their metabolic health. And then finally, they should be educated on how to prevent transmission from hepatitis B to others. Um, and uh, typically, this includes sexual transmission, household contacts, and of course, uh, we've already talked about the vaccinations. So then we're going to now transition to the goals of therapy for hepatitis B. And the goals of therapy are to improve any liver histology, reduce the inflammation and fibrosis, to reduce the hepatitis B level to undetected with normalization of ALT, and ultimately the optimal outcome of treatment of hepatitis B is to clear surface antigen. We have other landmarks shown here, including loss of E antigen and production of hepatitis B E antibody. Uh, as we are evolving in our hepatitis B uh, therapy, and, um, therapy paradigms, uh, the loss of E antigen is not uh, considered as important as it was, and uh, the trend is now to treat until we clear surface antigen. So how do we treat people with hepatitis B? So recently we published a paper trying to simplify the approach to those individuals who have chronic hepatitis B and to try and provide guidance as to when you would introduce therapy. So the laboratory tests that you need to assess whether therapy is required includes and HBV DNA, AST, ALT, and platelets. There's also cirrhosis screening that we've talked about. That's part of the fibrosis assessment and the tests that we discussed are listed here. And then finally, everybody who is diagnosed with hepatitis B should have a baseline ultrasound of the liver with alpha feta protein. If you are above the age of 30 and your DNA level is above 2000, or if you're less than 30, HBV DNA is greater than 2000, and the ALT is above the upper limit of normal. And by upper, above the upper limit of normal, what we mean here is that the ALT level for a female greater than 19, male greater than 30, then these individuals should be treated. And there are three recommended first-line therapies, entecavir, tenofovir disaproxyl, tenofovir alafenamide. They're all uh, equally effective for those who've never been treated. How do we monitor these individuals? So you check the ALT and the HBV DNA. Uh, I typically check them every three months until the viral level is suppressed. That usually takes about a year. It's also a way to ensure that patients are compliant with their therapies as well. Uh, these individuals after that can be followed every six months. And we check a surface antigen on an annual basis in addition to the HBV DNA and the ALT level. Uh, the renal function should also be checked at least on an annual basis. Cirrhosis, 
Uh, again, you should assess them every year. Uh, and again, we use the same tools as we do at baseline. And again, ultrasound with AFP level every six months. Um, if you have an HBV DNA that's less than 2000 and or the age less than 30, HBV DNA greater than 2000 and the ALT level less than the upper limit of normal, these individuals can be deferred for therapy. They still need to be followed because again, as we've discussed, you can still have flares of hepatitis B. Uh, they should have an ALT HBDNA every six months for at least two years, then annually if everything is stable, check a surface antigen every two years. And again, when you see them, you are screening for the presence of cirrhosis that can occur silently, even though the patients feel well. And again, once you get above the age of 40, then an ultrasound with AFP every six months in these individuals whom you're following. So how do we monitor disease in patients who are surface antigen positive? Again, obtain ALT, HBVNA every three months for the first year. You want to here capture whether or not the ALT is going up uh, when it was previously normal, um, and also whether the DNA level, which may have been lower, fluctuates up and down, say, to above 2,000 um, international units. And some of these individuals may uh, flare over time as well, and this is an important way to be able to capture that. You should order an ultrasound with AFP, and in appropriate patients, you need to be screening these individuals uh, for hepatoma every six months. And also, on an annual basis, you should be testing surface antigen and assessing fibrosis as well. Again, here, you're monitoring for progression to cirrhosis. For individuals who are not treated, uh, again, liver panel every 12 weeks, and HBV DNA every 12 to 24 weeks, um, in those who are e-antigen positive, you can uh, check these individuals to see if they've undergone seroconversion. And uh, again, uh, surface antigen should be tested every six to 12 months in those who are e-antigen negative um, with persistently undetectable HVDNA by PCR. And you should screen hepatoma versus hepatoma in the appropriate populations. What are the first line treatments for hepatitis B infection? So. Uh, they are shown here, uh, and they are shown in the three columns here, entecavir, tenofovir, disaproxyl, and tenofovir alafenamide. Uh, these are all pills, and they are all highly effective. I've shown you the doses here uh, for each one of these, and you can see here that they can be used in those who have no liver disease uh, with fibrosis. They can be used in people with fibrosis. They can be used in cirrhosis and those with decompensated cirrhosis as well. Some of the other caveats here are that you do have to renally um, adjust uh, these entecavir uh, and tenofovir disaproxyl. Tenofovir alafenamide, TAF, should not be recommended or utilized in those who have a very low GFR, less than 15 mils per minute, who aren't on hemodialysis. The use in pregnancy is with tenofovir disaproxyl in the center column, and there's an extensive safety um, database with this. I would also like to say that there is an emerging safety database with tenofovir alafenamide as well, uh, but it is not, the drug hasn't been around as long and it's not quite as mature. Uh, so tenofovir disaproxyl is still the first line uh, choice for uh, those who are pregnant. And again, you do need to do some drug-drug interactions uh, with these medicines, but happily, uh, for the most part, um, these drugs um, are very easy to use with other medicines and other antiviral agents. 
So how do we assess treatment response? After you initiate hepatitis B therapy, you recheck HBVNA every three months till undetectable. Then you can then follow these individuals every six months. If the hepatitis B is not undetected after one year and the HBVNA levels are not downtrending, then you should obtain consultation with a gastroenterologist, infectious disease specialist, or hepatologist. In patients with cirrhosis, what it, regardless, do not stop antiviral therapy. There is a risk for reactivation or relapse uh, or rebound hepatitis, and in cirrhosis, this may not be well tolerated. In patients without cirrhosis, you should continue until therapeutic response has been achieved. And this typically for endpoints includes loss of surface antigen with at least one year of consolidation. Also, maintaining persistently normal ALTs and undetectable HBV DNA. And then if you do undergo hepatitis B service antigen seroconversion, you need to undergo monitoring for at least two additional years after that if you're um, willing to be followed. And then this will ensure that there's no rebound. Just if you do clear surface antigen and you have one year of consolidation, the relapse rate where you would have reversion. That means production again of surface antigen after clearing it is actually quite low, less than 5%. What about hepatocellular carcinoma surveillance? Um, we um, have to screen our hepatitis B patients for uh, hepatocellular carcinoma. The indications here, and there have been multiple proposals, this was a very nice primary care work group, uh, and this includes all persons with cirrhosis, uh, as, uh, including people who clear surface antigen. And then other populations include Asian or Black Africans greater than 40 years of age, Asian females greater than 50 years of age, persons with a family history of HCC, and persons with HDV co-infection should all be screened for hepatocellular carcinoma. Um, ultrasound and AFP is the modality that should be uh, utilized. We've talked about those undergoing immunosuppressive and cytotoxic therapies. These are guidances from the ASLD and Remember, there's a proliferation of these immunosuppressive and cytotoxic therapies for immune oncologic diseases that can potentially lead to hepatitis B reactivation. And so particularly those who are surface antigen positive are at higher risk for reactivation. But all of these individuals um, should, before they receive immunosuppressive, cytotoxic, or immunomodulatory therapy, be tested for surface antigen hepatitis B core antibody. If you're surface antigen positive, you should initiate hepatitis B prophylaxis before the immunosuppressive or cytotoxic therapy. If you're surface antigen negative, you can in general monitor these individuals um, every three months with ALT, HBV DNA, and surface antigen with the intent for on-demand therapy. This exception are some of these potent anti-CD20 antibodies, such as rituximab or stem cell transplantation, you can still reactivate under these circumstances. But if you choose, when you choose to monitor, just remember, you really do have to monitor. Tenofovir, ciproxyl, tenofovir alafenamide, and tecavir are all appropriate choices if you require uh, prophylaxis. And you should continue it for six months after they have completed the immunosuppressor cytotoxic therapy with the exception of rituximab, where we generally treat uh, for a year uh, and then stop a year after the last rituximab dose has been given. 
So let's talk about a few cases here. So here we have uh, case one, which is Marcus. He's a 28-year-old man, born in Samoa, immigrated to the U.S. at age five. He was seen in your office for stomach pain for several months. There's a history of injection, drug use, unknown hepatitis B vaccination status. And as you're evaluating him, because he's from um, Samoa, you show the surface antigen, core antibody and surface antibody, core and surface antibody are positive. So what does this mean? So the question you, you want to address are, what is this patient's hepatitis B risk, infection status? Does this patient require vaccination? Should they be treated, referred for additional testing, and how do you counsel his family? So in this case, he has resolved hepatitis B. Core antibody and surface antibody are positive, so he has no risk to acquire hepatitis B, um, and he does not require vaccination. Uh, in addition, because he has resolved hepatitis B, though his other family members, if they've not been screened for hepatitis B, you would certainly ask them to come in to be screened. And again, um, just uh, these individuals, you don't need to vaccinate these individuals. And again, for this uh, gentleman, there is no uh, risk of transmission. And the resolved hepatitis B in this particular case is in no way contributing to the abdominal pain that brought him into the office. So now let's look at our second case, Ama. So this is a 42-year-old woman who comes to you. She's an existing patient. She's from Nigeria and immigrated to the U.S. in her late 30s. She doesn't really have any risk factors for hepatitis B with regard to uh, her behaviors. That is, no injection drug use history. Uh, but she did come from an area where it is highly endemic. She was found to be pregnant on a home pregnancy test. In addition, her male partner recently received positive hepatitis B results, and she doesn't know her vaccination status. So the initial serologic testing that you have shows a, her surface antigen is negative, core antibody negative, surface antibody negative, and indeed you confirm that her uh, beta HCG or pregnancy test is indeed positive. So some of the considerations for this person is, uh, what is this patient's hepatitis B risk? Uh, an infection status, does this patient require vaccination, and should this patient be treated with antivirals, what additional testing does she require, and how would you counsel her family? So when we look at this, um, we um, want to uh, counsel her that she is clearly at elevated risk for hepatitis B because of her um, positive um, testing from her partner. And in addition, um, she certainly has risk because she was born in Africa, though she had not acquired hepatitis B to date. Uh, she had not been previously exposed or vaccinated to a hepatitis B, so therefore she needs to be vaccinated now and counseled about uh, risk reduction. But fortunately, uh, she was diagnosed and you can go ahead safely and proceed uh, with the vaccinations. Um, the vaccinations, we have two recent ones that have been approved. Uh, that do not yet have a recommendation during pregnancy. These are Heplosov and Prehibrio uh, because currently they have lack of adequate safety data, but you have other hepatitis B vaccines with a robust safety record in pregnancy. Okay, so case three is on. Um, she was born in Vietnam, immigrated to the U.S. as a child. Mother has hepatitis B. She's recently engaged but doesn't know her vaccination status. So she's surface antigen positive when you measure this, and she's core total core antibody positive. You look at her AST-ALT, and her FIB4 is low uh, at 1.2, and she's not pregnant. 
Um, what are some of our next steps? Um, well, we need to stage our hepatitis B, so we'll need to order an HBV DNA. Uh, we'll need to order the CMB platelets and screen her for the various viruses and obtain a baseline ultrasound. Uh, we'd also uh, want to ensure that her fiance is uh, vaccinated against hepatitis B. Her results come back. She is surface antigen positive and her HBV DNA is 2.5 million international units. ALT level is 38 and her ultrasound is normal. Again, with the simplified guidance, ALT is greater than 19 and she's greater than age 18 and we would treat her uh, with any of our three first line therapies. Uh, we would monitor the HBV DNA every three months till HBV DNA is undetected and because she has a chronic hepatitis, we would screen this individual for hepatocellular carcinoma uh, with ultrasound and AFP every six months. So when we develop strategies to address gaps in eradicating hepatitis B, we want to be able to reduce stigmata and discrimination. We want to enhance representation in diverse communities, improve clinical services, advocate uh, for effective outreach strategies. Uh, we clearly want to also provide access, linkage to care to current and emerging therapies, improve vaccination. We really need to establish peer support frameworks because there is a substantial stigma with hepatitis B and individuals, if they can share their narratives, uh, this would remove some of the stigma and allow more individuals to be identified and to be appropriately screened, staged, diagnosed, and as well effectively treated. So who are the individuals we sh who should be doing this? Well, um, clearly primary care providers are going to be on the front line. Uh, the hepatologists, the infectious disease experts, the gastroenterologists, we don't see these people every day. And therefore the screening and management of many of these individuals with hepatitis B uh, can be done successfully and effectively with primary care physicians. And this means that screening for hepatitis B and vaccinations should be in the primary care realm. Um, initial evaluation and counseling of those with surface antigen positive that you find should be in the primary care realm, as well as the laboratory monitoring for individuals both on and not on treatment. Individuals who are uh, hepatitis B surface antigen positive should be surveyed for liver cancer. And again, uh, a useful guidance here, men greater than 40, women greater than 50, cirrhosis or family history of liver cancer. Harm reduction, good liver health are all important. And again, if they're individuals, if these individuals um, should become pregnant, you should work with your high-risk OB to ensure that these individuals are appropriately treated. And again, primary care physicians have an important role in initiation and monitoring for those of hepatitis B. And many of our primary care providers uh, do uh, monitor and treat some of these individuals. And so this can be done and we feel to eliminate hepatitis B as we discussed at the beginning that primary care providers are gonna to have to be part of the um, team that allows us to eliminate hepatitis B. However, they have cirrhosis, they have a liver mass on ultrasound, if they have thrombocytopenia, if you find co-infection or they don't respond to treatment, these are all individuals that we should be seeing in um, our clinics as well. So now we're gonna review case four, which is James. So James was born on a US military base in England. He experiences periodic homelessness. There's no history of injection drug use. 
doesn't know his vaccination status, but does come in because his father died of hepatocellular carcinoma. And when you look at his blood tests, indeed, he's also service antigen positive and service antibody negative. So what's this individual's infection status? Does he require vaccination? Should he receive additional testing? And should he be referred to a liver specialist? Well, let's see what happens. So when his results come back, the DNA level is 6 million international units. ALT is 38. And his surface antibody is undetected. So this person has HPV infection. And again, as part of his baseline evaluation, we'll need an abdominal ultrasound and AFP as you make your treatment decision. But at this time, you are leaning toward treating this individual because ALT is above uh, 30 and he has high level of HPV DNA and there's a family history of hepatocellular carcinoma. However, the abdominal ultrasound shows a liver mass. So in this uh, particular step now, what would you do? Um, so this person still needs to be treated for his hepatitis B, but you clearly need to refer this individual for a subspecialty opinion. Hepatitis B is one of the uh, diseases where you can get hepatocellular carcinoma without cirrhosis, and you should refer this to your hepatologist um, to have further assessment uh, of the liver mass and to help you um, provide guidance for how you're going to approach not only the mass, but obviously also treat his hep chronic hepatitis B. Let's now talk about perinatal transmission of hepatitis B. Uh, these are the primary care workgroup recommendations. Uh, when you see someone who is pregnant, they should be screened for hepatitis B. Um, if they are surface antigen negative, then they should be vaccinated during pregnancy, as we discussed previously. If they're surface antigen positive, you can screen the household in sexual contacts. If treatment is indicated, they meet the standard criteria for treatment, you can start tenofovir disoproxyl or TDF. If not on treatment, at, uh, you get to trimester three at weeks 26 to 28, you need to check a viral level. If greater than 200,000, these individuals are at high risk for maternal to fetal transmission and you need to start tenofovir disoproxyl. You can stop the TDF at birth or the tenofovir disoproxyl and monitor for ALT flares at least every three months. We typically do monthly for the first couple of months. And um, this should prevent transmission to uh, the infant. Regard to the infant, all uh, infants of service antigen negative women should receive the birth dose vaccine within 24 hours of birth. If you're service antigen positive, you need to get the vaccine in hep B immune globulin within 12 hours and ideally within a few hours of birth and complete the vaccination series. With regard to breastfeeding, uh, service antigen mothers, including those on uh, tenofovir disoproxyl, uh, should be educated that hepatitis B is not transmitted through uh, breast milk. Um, cracked nipples, should they should receive proper nipple care and that hepatitis B vaccination and hep B immune globulin would prevent their baby from obtaining the hepatitis B. The Immunization Action Coalition recommends a universal both birth dose of hepatitis B vaccine and um, the first dose of hepatitis B should be administered prior to hospital discharge for every newborn uh, born in the United States. And you can see here that this prevents mother to infant transmission and as well as household transmission. And it also happily is a safety net uh, to prevent perinatal transmission when medical errors occur, which uh, are rare, uh, but like every system, um, you know, the system is not perfect. One of the challenges of risk-based screening is that testing fails to identify many patients with HIV and hepatitis C. Therefore, 
test all adults for hepatitis B infection and vaccinate all adults who lack evidence of prior HBV infection or vaccination protection uh, to prevent the transmission and infection of hepatitis B. And this is going to be one of the strategies that we're going to use for uh, reducing and eliminating hepatitis B. Uh, currently, all persons uh, aged 18 to 79 um, in the U.S. should be screened for hepatitis C with a one-time test. It should also be uh, the case for hepatitis B. In addition, we need to deliver hepatitis B care to highly affected populations. This is going to require community health groups and health centers to develop innovative strategies to develop and deliver primary care-based hepatitis B management to these marginalized uh, populations. Here are two excellent examples, including the Charles B. Wang Community Health Center in New York, as well as the Northeast Medical Services uh, Clinic in the San Francisco Bay Area. These clinics serve Asian immigrant populations, uh, and they have implemented universal hepatitis B uh, screening protocols. And in addition, they have created registries to ensure not only care, but also liver cancer screening. So to conclude, consider universal screening for hepatitis B. Otherwise, the current standards are risk-based screening. We are strong advocates of universal screening. Use the surface antigen, surface antibody, and total core as serologic markers for screening. Vaccinate those who have not been exposed to hepatitis B. Remember, the thresholds for treatment are falling. These are in all of the societal guidances. And again, our recommendation is that if the HPVNA is greater than 2,000 and the uh, age is greater than 30, that you treat. And again, historically, with other chronic viral infections, uh, we typically treat these individuals. That is, we don't leave HIV untreated. We don't leave hepatitis uh, C untreated. If you have cirrhosis, you need to be treated regardless of your viral level. If you find decompensated cirrhosis, a liver mass, co-infection, you're not responding to treatment, you should refer to a specialist. Our first-line therapies, they're all excellent. Entecavir, tenofovir, disaproxyl, tenofovir, alafenamide. Make sure you monitor during therapy. The medicines work, but also you want to make sure they're compliant with the medicines. Screen your patients appropriately for hepatocellular carcinoma. And again, we need to find these large populations of undiagnosed hepatitis B infected individuals and link these individuals to care. The worldwide incidence of hepatocellular carcinoma and progressive liver disease will decline because of these efforts. And again, we have better therapies on the horizon that will hopefully truly clear surface antigen. And hopefully over the next decade, we will be able to make a substantial impact on the worldwide burden of hepatitis B. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash AYK860. This program has been supported by an independent educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated.